We're back in the epistle of James this morning. Uh, We have been calling James the in-your-face epistle, uh, and he is uh, right back uh, in our face here this morning. Uh, Let's pray, and we'll get started. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, thank you you didn't leave us in the dark with who we are, who you are, and what our world is like. And Lord, I pray that you would do more than just instruct us. Lord, do that, please. Uh, But Lord, I pray you would also uh, give us hope, Lord, that you would uh, inspire us because of uh, your grace that we see here in these words. I pray these things in your name. Amen. You know, in the Bible, you see a lot of plants. You see uh, Noah is given a set of plans on how to build an enormous boat. Takes him over 100 years. You see Moses, who's commended by God for planning to lead the people out of Egypt. You see Joshua, who's blessed by God for planning to lead Israel into Canaan. You see Solomon, uh, is given a plan by God to build the temple, and it takes him about seven years. You see Paul, who plans to take the gospel to places all around the Mediterranean Sea where he's going to set up churches. He has three missionary trips, and those three missionary trips take anywhere between one and seven years. Plants. In Proverbs, you see an ant. An ant is seen as a model to emulate because the ant stores up food when there's excess for times when there's going to be leanness. See, some of us, we hear examples like this in the Scriptures, and we're like, that's what I'm talking about. You love quotes like, if you fail to plan, you plan to... If you don't plan your life, others will. An hour of planning can save you 10 hours of doing. A goal without a plan is just a wish. See, those who love planning, you see opportunities out on the horizon. The future fascinates you. Planners long for a better life, a better world, and planners are willing to put their shoulder behind making that better life and better world come to pass for themselves and for others. So, for instance, we have a plan around here as Hope Presbyterian Church. You can see it in our vision statement. It's our plan is for all souls in and around downtown Lexington to flourish in a community that's rooted in Jesus Christ, that's compelled by his gospel and strives for a more beautiful and just city. That's our plan. I also have a plan that in my lifetime that we plant three more neighborhood churches in Lexington. And that we plant a, a church in each of the seven surrounding counties. And some days I've got a lot of energy towards these ends, while on others, I can't see anything except what's right in front of me. I have no desire to plan. I just want to get through the day. And it's those days I'm comforted by these other verses. Like Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes steps. Man, it really takes the pressure off, right? Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Proverbs 27, 1, do not boast in tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. I love that verse when I don't want to plan. Matthew 6, 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
So how should we relate to the future? Is it good to plan or is it bad to plan? I think our text will help us today. So let's read from James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. Verse 13, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. The word of the Lord. In order to plan well, according to our text, uh, we've got to consider three things. The first thing we've got to consider are our limitations. You see that in verse 13 and 14. You have to consider God's sovereignty, verses 15 and 16. You have to consider the present, verse 17. So remember, remember what James, who he's talking to. James is talking to well-to-do Christians in his epistle. And not only are they well-to-do, but many are, 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 many are merchants. They're business people. And according to our text, they're like typical business people that make deliberate plans with a fair amount of self-confidence. I mean, just look at verse 13. You see, the first thing they do, they set the time for their departure. You see that with today or tomorrow. In other words, they love working that calendar. We got any calendar-dependent people up in here? Then they determine which location has the most opportunity. We see that when it says go to such and such a town. So in other words, they're confident that they can determine where there is space in the market for their product or their service. Then they calculate how much time it's going to take uh, to establish that new market. It says spend a year. And they're able to figure that out because they've got some experience that they've acquired down through the years. They have plans. At the very end of verse 13, you see the chief motive behind their plans. It is to make a profit. See, James has them and he has us at the end of verse 13 right in his hands, doesn't he? We have all used this kind of terminology, even if you aren't in business, right? I mean, there's this expectation or the vision of ending up in a certain place in your career or in your life for your family at this certain age, and so you live into that vision. But what we often fail to do is we often fail to take our limitations into account. And James lists two in verse 14. The first one Our first limitation, according to James, is we have a limitation of knowledge. You see that verse 14 where it says, we do not know what tomorrow will bring. See, what planners do is they see a desired future out in the distance and then they backward engineer what the outcome should be. But what they fail to take into account is that their, their plan can be cut short by an illness or by an accidental death. Their plan can be changed because interest rates go up 300%. Can I get an amen in the room? 
So let me give you some examples. A mentor of mine, he, he planned to retire and spend the final chapter of his life in, in investing in the coming generation alongside his beloved wife, but instead he had to retire abruptly when his wife was diagnosed with a terminal illness. On a positive note, a friend of mine about a year and a half ago uh, had a third child. This third child was a surprise. His first two children were 18 and 16. Know someone else uh, who uh, was, once her children were all uh, grown and out of the house, uh, she was going to spend the next chapter of her life volunteering at her church and taking care of her grandchildren and doing a fair amount of traveling. Uh, but instead, in those years, those last years that she had children in the house, uh, she went through a lot of counseling. And at the end of uh, that, that in, the intense counseling, she felt called by the Lord to go back to school to get her counseling degree, and to be a therapist. She's doing that instead. See, we just don't know what tomorrow will bring. We have a limitation in knowledge, but we have a limitation in our amount of time, don't we? I mean, that's why he says, like a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes. That's what our life's like. And the Bible talks about this so many other places in verse 14 in chapter 4 of James. It talks about it in, in Psalm 102, my... Days pass away like smoke. Psalm 39, verses 5 and 6 read, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely man goes out about as a shadow. See, the ancients understood this, not just the Bible, but the ancients, the Roman emperors, they were instructed to pick out a slab of marble before they were crowned. And this slab would be made into a tombstone, and at their coronation, it would be given to them. And this was a way that this newly crowned emperor, for, for them to remember that his funeral, he had to remember his funeral at the time of his most elevated moment. The time when he would be most apt to forget the brevity of his life. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm not suggesting that we give tombstones to high school and college graduates. I'm not saying that today. But I am saying that the occasional stroll through a graveyard. I am saying that regularly attending visitations and funerals. Doing those kinds of things can help us gain wisdom by numbering our days, as Fran read earlier from Psalm 90. See, James' rebuke, it's, it's not intended to keep his audience from planning or to keep us from planning. James' rebuke is not intended to squash their desire for profit. But what his rebuke is aimed at is their self-confidence, their unwillingness to embrace their limitations. And all of it comes down to a word, the word presumptuous. See, we have this faulty understanding of ourselves in relation to our capacity. It doesn't mean that we don't believe in God or that we have no faith. It's just that God is really small and we're really big. So how are we going to eradicate that presumption? Well, James lays out an alternative. He says in verse 15 that we ought to acknowledge God's sovereignty. We acknowledge it by saying, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. 
And just saying that, it's not some magical incantation. It's not a glib formula without any real meaning. What James is saying is that he's not saying that ensures humility, but it is a key qualifier to all planning. Believing it, if the Lord wills, believing that little phrase, it adds this element of contingency to our planning. So when we don't plan in this way, we're described with those words in verse 16. Do you see them? They're not exactly flattering, arrogant, boastful, evil. See, we've already seen that the solution is not to eliminate planning from our life, but we're to plan in this non-presumptuous way, this this humble way, this if the Lord wills kind of way, this, this way of dependence. We've got to plan with our frailty, our ignorance, and our dependence front and center. So how do you know how you're planning? How do you know whether you're planning in a selfish, presumptuous way or in a way that's depending on the Lord? Well, I think it might be as simple as asking, what role has prayer taken? Has God been a part of the plans from the start? Did you ask him if your plan was an effort worth pursuing? Did you ask him to expose your motives? Did you seek his guidance, not just at the start of the project, but as the project went along? When it's over, do you think you'll have the perspective that he was the reason for its success? Or is the project being carried out primarily with a reliance on your knowledge, your experience, and your skill? What role is prayer taken? I also think another way you know whether you're planning presumptuously or with a dependence on God is by thinking about the almighty dollar. Jesus said this in Luke 12. He tells this parable starting in verse 15. I'll read it. Verse 15 to 21. It's familiar. It's been around the Bible. It's still powerful. Luke 12, 15. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So Jesus told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself is not rich toward God. So you notice in this parable, this guy had a plan, didn't he? <laughs> he had to figure out what to do with his excess crops, and it's likely he had to do that because he did such a good job planning in the first place. And so he makes the plan, and his plan is to tear down his barns and to build bigger barns. See, he could have come up with a different plan, couldn't he? He could have come up with a plan on distributing the excess to the poor, but he didn't. Notice something else. This guy is a saver. (laughs) He doesn't want to just go buy a bunch of stuff. And see, almost no one will tell you that you are saving too much, especially not your financial planner. It's almost always considered wise to save. Then Jesus comes along in Luke chapter 12, and he's skeptical of our desire to save. 
Now hear me out. I'm not saying that saving is a bad idea. I'm just saying that it's possible to save too much. I am saying that it's possible we so badly want financial security for ourselves and our children and our grandchildren that we miss the opportunity to do the right thing today. And that's why I think verse 17 is sitting right there at the end. Do you see it? Verse 17 reads, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. It seems like a random verse, doesn't it? Put in a random place, but it's not. See, planning is about being future-oriented. When James is trying to get them to live in the present here in verse 17, he's trying to get us to see that the great challenge of life is not whether or not you're making plans and executing. What he's trying to say is that the great challenge of life is doing what's needed for today. And what's needed for today is staying present to abide with Christ in the moment and enjoy him and all his benefits. So what's needed for today is staying present and loving the person in front of us instead of looking past them at our projected future. What's needed for today is to fight the sin that lurks in our heart in the here and now. And you see, the only way you're going to be able to be properly ambitious The only way you're going to be able to selflessly plan, the only way you're going to be able to stay in the presence is to see that God is a planner. And that plan included you. See, he set forth the plan in the moments after sin entered the world and right before he banished mankind out of the garden. Right there in Genesis 3.15, he said that the offspring of the woman would battle Satan and triumph, but during the battle, the offspring of the woman would suffer. This, Genesis 3.15, is the first of many prophecies of Jesus. And with each prophecy, the plan was unfolding. The plan was becoming more clear of how God was going to have you so that when Jesus came, it was unmistakable that he was going to be the one who would get God's people back into the garden. And when he got them back into the garden, that they would be able to enjoy God as father and not experience him as judge. That when Jesus gets us back into the garden, there's going to be perfect harmony among humanity. Instead of it being this, this nor- it would be a normal thing instead of being momentary. That when he gets us back into the garden, that's his plan. That creation would be something that we don't exploit, but that we cultivate. And brother and sister, this is our destiny as God's people. That's God's plan for you. But to get us there, Jesus had to die. He had to die the death that you deserve. He had to incur the punishment for our greed, for our selfish ambition, for our prideful planning. And when you see Jesus, when you see him absorbing the punishment for our sin while he hangs on the tree, you're going to be free. You're going to be free to make plans. You might make plans that fail, and it's going to hurt, but it's not going to be devastating because you know you're going to be held in the loving arms of your father. You're going to be free to make plans to trust God with your money out into the future and instead of having to sack it all away. You'll be free to give away your money instead of saving too much, all because of this gaze towards Jesus, whose plan was to have you. And doesn't that make you want to plan? (laughs) Doesn't that make you want to plan and bring redemption in the here and now? I hope it does.
Let's pray. Father, many of us, we are quick to plan. We have so many ideas and we have so much energy willing to execute them. And Lord, I pray that we would take moments to reflect and put our motives before you. Lord, that we'd be willing uh, to see what role prayer has and what role money has in all of our plans. And Lord, I pray that we as a congregation, Lord, that you would help us take risks. Uh, not necessarily just risks out into the future, but risks for today. Lord, that we would take the risk to set aside time to enjoy you. Lord, that we would set aside time to love our neighbor. And Lord, that we would uh, set aside time to cultivate what you've given us and not just exploit it. Oh, Lord, we need your help desperately. Would you help us? In Christ's name, amen.